Welcome to the Yoga Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Saraswati Clare, an award-winning documentary filmmaker and owner of Yoga Kula from the San Francisco Bay Area. Join us to hear from the world's leading experts on yoga, teachers, doctors, scientists, and scholars. To study more deeply with these inspiring teachers, check out the courses on our website, In this new era, where we have the opportunity to envision and create a new world, the practices of yoga help us to live more consciously so that we can create a better inner and outer world. To help others find us, please leave your comments on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Beryl Bender Birch is the director and founder of the Hard and Soft Yoga Institute and a founder of Give Back Yoga Foundation, which provides yoga to underserved communities and offers development grants to yoga teachers for community service projects. She's a spiritual teacher and yoga therapist. She's the best-selling author of Power Yoga, the classic training manual for asana practice, Beyond Power Yoga, in which she looks at the relationship between the eight limbs of yoga and the chakras, and Bhuma Yoga, which illustrates how to create a yoga plan that works for maturing adults, and Yoga for Warriors, which provides yoga practices for veterans. A former neurofeedback researcher with a degree in comparative religion, Birch has been an avid student of yoga and the study of consciousness since 1971. She studied with Patabi Joyce, founder of Ashtanga Yoga, from 87 to 90. With degrees in philosophy and comparative religion, she has traveled extensively in India and has been teaching classical yoga and training yoga teachers as spiritual revolutionaries since 1980. Hi, Beryl. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to be here. (laughs) I feel like we're connected. We have this big arc of energy going from the West Coast to the East Coast and everything in between. So thanks so much for inviting me to join you. This is really, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. And I'm deeply honored. I know you've um, been on this journey for so many years and um, I'd love to, for you to help us really understand um, more about um, the spectrum of yoga and um, if we, you could start from your, your, your first, the first time you found out about yoga and why, why you felt it was beneficial for you. Like just tell, tell us your journey into the practice. <laughs> Wow. Okay. All right. Saddle up. Here we go. You know, I'm going to, I'll give you a couple sound bites and then we can pick what path we want to follow. You know, I don't think I really knew it was beneficial when I first started. I was a philosophy major in college. And so I'd always been asking from the time I was a child, the really big questions, you know, why am I here? What's the purpose? What's up there? Who who lives? Does anybody live on those stars out there? I had imaginary animal friends and um, um, 
And I, um, you know, so I was kind of given to sort of metaphysical and spiritual pursuits just naturally. I wanted to be a theoretical physicist and I have pretty severe dyslexia, which I really didn't discover until my late 40s. Um, I just, I didn't think I was stupid, although I did for a while. <laughs> but, you know, you, st- you realize um, in my physics classes, I didn't think other people in the classes were smarter than I was. I just thought they were a lot faster at being smart than I was. So I sort of, the, 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 um, uh, the the natural exit from science was I kind of went out the back end from science into philosophy because philosophy was easy for me. And so I became a philosophy major and did really well in that. So I figured, well, I do well in this. This is where I ought to be. Um, I moved to California uh, shortly after I lived in New York a couple years after I graduated from school. I went to Syracuse University. And I thought I was moving to the country and I really wanted to be an actor. Uh, And I was pretty good at everything like mime and movement and makeup. And the only thing I couldn't really do was act. And it was because I couldn't memorize. And I (laughs) I'd get on stage and just freeze. I could not, I would have nightmares about forgetting lines. So um, I remember going to a lecture with... Uh, Baba Ramdas, and he was Baba Ramdas at the time in like 1972, probably, at UCLA in California. And I tripped up these stairs on the way to the lecture, and I saw this poster for a yoga class. And I thought, that sounds kind of interesting. I might check that out. And I had gotten a job just you know, and you think coincidentally, but of course, I don't believe that anything is coincidental. Um, working at the Biofeedback Research Institute of Los Angeles. And the first thing we did was we were running research studies on meditators and looking at the brainwave patterns of a variety of different meditators from martial artists to Zen practitioners. And so I just kind of fell into meditating. And then I was seeking out teachers and my first two meditation teachers were Choyam Trungpa Rinpoche. And I would travel to San Francisco to take classes with him. And then the person who eventually became my teacher and guru was a Jain monk by the name of Munishri Chitrabhanu. So I was meditating and kind of following the path of meditation long before I really knew about asana. I took a couple asana classes, but they were sort of sporadic and here and there and did some, did a lot of Iyengar workshops, but it wasn't until I kind of found the Ashtanga practice in 1980, it's 1979 after I moved back to New York, that I got real serious about asana and recognized that connection of the eight limb path and that connection between asana and meditation. So I don't know if that's a short summary or not, but it's kind of how I got started. And as far as the benefits, um, if you were to list the benefits, like sometimes I look back at my life before doing practice and then how the shift was afterwards, like the before and after 
just as far as your levels of stress, um, how you felt in the body, your, your shifted understanding? I don't think, well, I have to think about that. You know, I mean, I think what makes yoga, yoga, and I've kind of learned this from Satbir Singh Khalsa, who, or Khalsa Singh, I'm not sure. He's a professor of, at Harvard and uh, also very involved in yoga practice and has done a lot of research and edited a phenomenal book on all the latest research on yoga and meditation. And what, what he talked about was what makes yoga yoga. There are basically four things. One, obviously, asana and the practices. Um, the second one is the cultivation of mind-body awareness. Third one is self-regulation. And the fourth one is the spiritual experiences, you know, the experiences of samadhi or uh, the awareness of the true self. And even though they might be glimpses that you know, as you get deeper into, or you kind of practice longer and get deeper into the practices, you have more insight about where you're going and why you're going there. Um, so if I look back in my 20s and I look at how I, that compares to where I am now, I see a tremendous change in my ability to self-regulate and to connect mind and body. You know, when I first discovered asana in 79, I didn't make the connection between asana and meditation until I started studying the Yoga Sutra and became aware of the eight limb path. And then I went, oh, I see. Asana begins the journey for you, begins the practice of teaching us how to pay attention. And then pranayama is a little more subtle. Prachahara is a little more subtle still. And then you kind of flop over into the inner limbs. And by the time you get to meditation, you've been training your mind in concentration because you can't really meditate until you learn to concentrate. So what I think the biggest change was is that, you know, until you recognize, and I think yoga helps us learn to do that, absolutely, that we can, we, who we are is not what we're thinking about that Descartes was definitely wrong when he said, I think, therefore I am. <laughs> you know, that I might have an anxious thought and I will be, you know, I'll think that's who I am in this moment. I'll be anxious or I'll be anticipating, you know, worrying about what's coming or how am I going to, you know, in, in times like this, people worry about work and money and family. And so, Yoga gives us a choice. And at some point, I think you, you learn that and you realize I can either get carried off by my thoughts and just ride out on this wave or I can stop. I can use any of the many tools I've learned, like my breath or like asana or just like a, a, a word and just stop and go, okay, let me get my attention in present time. Let me focus on this moment right here, right now, and downregulate, consciously downregulate. And it's interesting how subtle that awareness becomes after you've been doing yoga for a long time. The other night I woke up in the middle of the night and I was, I'm starting a 300-hour yoga teacher training program online, yoga and meditation, 
in three weeks. And I, I have seven different faculty that are contributing to this training. And I'm doing the first weekend and it's with Google Classroom and uploading and downloading. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> the logistics. And I woke up and I went, oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. The minute that thought took off, I could feel the physical response. I could almost feel the cortisol and adrenaline release and I could feel the stress levels, you know? So you start to become so tuned into your stress hormones and they're not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, they've kept us alive as a species for, for, you know, millennia, but you don't want them running out of control when you're just having an anxious thought about, you know, past or future. So I think the benefits, other than the obvious ones of being more patient, more tolerant, more compassionate, more flexible, more strong, more, you know, these are things that all my students say. And I think ask anybody, anybody that's doing yoga, you know, how many of you feel yoga's changed your life? And everyone says yes, and for the better. So there's obviously you know, it trains us to spend more time in the present tense. And that's where life happens. And even if we don't like it, even if it's a, a difficult time, it's important to be present for it because that's where the teachings happen. And um, particularly during these times of craziness in the world, um, what advice do you have and tips and, and ways of drawing from the teachings um, would you advise during these kinds of times when there are so many challenges? It's, it's the teaching of yoga is so perfectly adapted to this time. I mean, basically we could sum up yoga about in a sentence, you know, get your attention in present time and the future will take care of itself. And I, now, you know, if you're talking to someone who's just lost a loved one to COVID or is out of work because their bakery closed or their yoga studio closed. I mean, you can't be cavalier about it. There's obviously a degree of compassion and, and empathy that you feel for people that are really struggling. I mean, my income in, on March 15th came to an absolute screeching halt. Everything was canceled. Kripalu, Omega, all my workshops, my teacher training programs. And I think all the yogis that are listening to us can relate to that. I don't have a studio. I never really wanted a studio. But, you know, and I had um, a little rental property in Santa Fe, New Mexico in my house. And my, I had a big, you know, great house that I had two dogs in a big fenced in backyard. And and but I felt comfortable in it because I had a pretty good income. And all of a sudden I looked around and said, wait a minute, no income and two mortgages. This is not sustainable. And I put my house on the market and sold it in one day. And so I went, oh, great. Now what? You know, and so then you kind of like so many others, you've got to reinvent yourself. And I'm going, OK, um, but I don't think. You know, people say, oh, I can't wait till we get back to normal or I can't wait to go back or, you know, what's going to, you know, when this is over. And, you know, I say that there is no going back. 
and and it's not over. This is it. This is our life right here, right now. Don't put your life on hold because you're waiting until it's a more comfortable for you. This isn't a mistake. You know, I think this is a big teaching. I think Mother Earth is kicking back and saying, look, I've given you a lot of hints and some pretty powerful hints like floods, earthquakes, fires, um, hurricanes, did I say that one, <laughs> tornadoes, trying to teach impermanence. And everybody keeps going along business as usual, thinking we're always going to have oil, we're always going to have forests, we're always going to have a clean ocean, we're always going to have, you know, I was listening to some celebrity, Alec Baldwin, they were saying on some, oh, he's having his fifth child. He's married to a yoga teacher. Going, what is she thinking? You know, that is the greediest, most selfish thing you could possibly do in today's world. You know, I grew up, there were 2 billion people on the planet. Now there's seven. There are just too many people. And every problem we have goes back to too many people. I know it's not very popular to say, stop having so goddamn many children. We can't do it anymore. It's a luxury that, that, and then people think because they're rich or they're famous, you know, Mick Jagger has 18 kids. If I could get my hands on him and I'd give him a vasectomy, you know, it's just, you know, we need, it, it, it's, that's why yoga is so important is it helps make you more conscious, hopefully. And that's why teaching yoga is so important and training as you're doing. And so many people are doing training people to practice and teach yoga because it eventually wakes you up. You know, you, again, you ask people that are doing yoga, what they think about, you know, what's going on in the world. And they go, well, you know, I'm, 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 I, I feel like it has expanded my awareness. Mm-hmm. You learn to pay attention. And as you learn to pay attention, your circle of compassion sort of starts to grow and it goes beyond your own backyard. And you start to realize there really is just one of us here. And it's not just about me and the things, you know, and my political party or my state or my family or my football team. It's we're all in this together and black, brown, purple and indifferent, you know, and it's and this upheaval, you know, this huge clash now of people that are hanging on out of fear to the way it used to be and people that are kind of forging ahead and truly celebrating impermanence. So I think, you know, not only do I think this is a a deliberate teaching from Mother Earth, I think that um, teaching yoga virtually, which at first seemed, how are we going to do that? And I think, wait, this this is a huge, this is wake people up to the fact that yoga isn't just about asana. You know, there are a lot of, it's about lifestyle and awareness and meditation and insight and compassion and service. So I, I, I had, um, I was in New York City when in 9-11 happened and um, one of the studios there sent out a message to all the studio owners and the teachers and saying, you know, we can, we can respond to this. We can be helpful. We have the tools. This is your time. This is what you've been training for. And here's a bunch of um, practices that you could teach to your students. 
And um, in the studio there in the city, um, people started to come because they couldn't sleep because they were so stressed. And it was such a great um, understanding to feel as a teacher that you could be of service, that you could really help, um, you know, everything you're talking about, helping people to self-regulate, helping people to, I mean, I feel it's so wild that we have an education where we don't really understand much about the anatomy of the body. We certainly understand nothing about the mind and how to self-nurture and how to be more conscious. So I, I keep saying that to my teacher trainees, um, you know, being being of service. And um, I'd love to hear too about your, um, you know, your um, foundation you set up about um, give back yoga. Uh, one thing about New York, I mean, that you mentioned 9-11, I was teaching in New York at that time as well. And I know that people, you know, I remember the, I started teaching um, to some of the first responders and a woman who was the probably the foremost authority on post-traumatic stress in the United States at the time. Very few people had ever heard of it. And so she called me the day after 9-11 said, can you come up here and work with the families of the burn victims? Wow. And she was at Wild Cornell Medical Center. And I said, you know, Joanne, I don't, I don't have any experience doing it. She said, great, I'll see you at two o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my gosh. So, you know, working with, since then, you know, we developed a wonderful program and worked with some of the employees from Marsh McLennan and Cantor Fitzgerald that were the two corporations that were most dramatically affected. And um, then I began, a pro I wrote that book, Yoga for, for Warriors, which I wrote for the military about three or four years ago and work with veterans with post-traumatic stress. So I think, you know, I think eventually you come to the awareness as a yoga practitioner that there really is nothing else to do but to serve your community, that that's what brings us the greatest sense of happiness. And I heard somebody ask the Dalai Lama once that said, well, what's our ultimate purpose? And I thought he was going to say to, you know, reduce suffering in the world. And he said to be happy. And I thought, well, that, if you don't know the Dalai Lama, that could sound a little self-serving, like, oh, all I want to do is make myself happy. But as you go through your life and go through the things that you think are going to make you happy, like a relationship or a big house or a lot of stuff for a job or a spectacular position or a president of the United States. I mean, you suddenly realize that, you know, everything, there's nothing in the world of form that can bring us lasting happiness because everything changes. And you slowly begin to get that teaching of impermanence and realize what leads to suffering, you know, and you start to filter your thoughts and refine. So you're cultivating wholesome thoughts because you start to see that leads to joyfulness and unwholesome thoughts lead to suffering. And it doesn't take, you know, you don't have to be super, have a super high IQ to figure that out to think, gee, you know, if I do this, it's going to cause me pain. And if I do this, it's going to make me happy. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, this idea of 
you know, we founded the Give Back Yoga Foundation in 2007. And it was basically with the idea of making yoga available to anybody who wanted to do it because we felt it was such a powerful tool for transformation. Not the only one, certainly, but a pretty good one. And um, so it's our executive director who is absolutely brilliant and who has taken this little nonprofit into the stratosphere in terms of we're sort of the, um, we're the gateway organization for yoga service projects in the United States. We've launched so many programs and uh, uh, trainings. I mean, we have six programs that are, we fiscally sponsor from yoga in prisons to yoga for veterans to uh, Eat, Breathe, Thrive, which is a program for disordered eating, to yoga for cancer survivors, to uh, Y12SR yoga for 12-step recovery. So it's a it's been an amazing journey for sure. And um, and I, I think that's you know that's what makes me happy is 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 seeing teaching yoga to people and seeing the transformation and the awakening and the, you know, cause right now, um, you know, it's, it's hard not to get caught up in what Joanna Macy calls the great unraveling. You know, you see everything falling apart, our bridges, our oceans, our forests, our earth, the dirt, the food quality, the, you know, there's so many issues and so many problems and you could just get depressed and paralyzed. And so, but they, at, at the same time, there's so many people like you and probably most of the people listening to this who are working their asses off to try and, you know, Take care of the children, stop sex trafficking, clean up the oceans, stop people from using palm oil and cutting down the forest to, to, to make, you know, you, no matter where you turn, there's work to do. Um, so I think Joanna Macy calls that the, you know, there's business as usual, the great unraveling where you kind of fall into this depression and feel hopeless. And then the great turning, which I think, yoga practitioners spend not all their time but a lot of their time in this in this story of their lives called the great turning where we're really trying to you know shift things and and be aware of what our behavior is doing to our home i mean there've been a lot of cataclysmic events on earth uh over the history of our planet. And right now, we, the human species, are the cataclysmic event. We are causing the dissolution of life on this planet and with overpopulating and greed and rampant disregard for what the outcome of our activities are. So. Yoga brings me, you know, joy because I'm grateful for what I have. And I think, I think that you said, you know, that you teach your students to, to pay attention to, to being grateful and sharing that. And I think that's so true. I, I, it's so wonderful, too, when you start to explore all the different 
um, areas, all the different traditions and practices, and you realize that thousands and thousands of years old are these um, practices to learn how to work with the breath, to learn how to work with the mind. And that it, it's, it's amazing because um, that they're preserved in these different traditions and that I feel like in some ways if you were a Chinese medicine doctor, you can reach up and pull out one jar and then all these different medicines are available and in either in working with the breath or, um, you know, there's so so many different um, ways in which we can help bring the mind and body into a more harmonious um, way. Um, So, yeah. Aren't you fascinated by all the research that's coming out now on all the different effects of breath control and meditation and mindfulness and MS, mindfulness-based MBSR? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. I, um, is there any, anything to share along those lines? Or, and also really interested the effects of um, these practices for people who either are in prison or, you know, why does it help? Why does it help someone who is in a traumatized state? Why can you help us understand how, how these practices could affect you? How does the breath affect your well-being? Well, I, to me, and um, I think that the key is the, I'm working with someone who has severe schizophrenia right now. And it's really the first time I've worked with anybody who is that severely, uh, has that has severe mental illness. And she also is recovering from COVID. So, and has recovered. I mean, she had it in March and April and is test negative now. And so physically she was completely debilitated when I started working with her. And um, it's really interesting to see her, you know, just, she's, she's not here. You know, when we first started working together, she was just never here. I could see her, you know, spinning out all the time. I go, you know, um, let's just call her Sally. Sally, what are you thinking about? Where are, how'd you know I was thinking? (laughs) You know, and, um, and she can take when she's in rest, for example, she'll take maybe two breaths and then her eyes will pop open and she'll start looking off into, and I know she's just, you know, she started thinking, training her, focus her attention on the breath has been the most difficult thing. That's what I taught her first. I mean, they, two people walked her in, laid her down on the mat and that's where we started. You know, she couldn't even sit up in a chair by herself. And I just taught her to breathe, put her hands on her belly. And slowly she's gotten physically tremendously better. I mean, now she can walk by herself. She's starting to do a very modified triangle pose. She can stand. She can do a modified side angle. We do chair yoga and then we lie down. And and so it's funny. People say, well, you teach present power. You teach power yoga. You teach Ashtanga. And I went, you know, I can teach what I do to somebody in a wheelchair. And you just use your imagination. Say, all right, I'm in a chair. How am I going to do triangle pose? Well, let me see. You know, I'll put this leg out and can I bend this way and do this? And that's what you start with what you've got. Um and, you know, I think 
What happens is, for example, in post-traumatic stress, the hypervigilance, which is one of the symptoms or, um, you know, the flashbacks, I mean, and, and that's pretty sort of self-evident. A flashback is something pops up out of your past that gets you thinking about a traumatic event and you, your, your body responds as if it were happening right now. So the, if you learn to cultivate some mind-body awareness and you can, you can recognize that physiological response to that mental flashback, let's say I think about a time, you know, I was raped or a bomb blew up next to me or I was in an automobile accident and that, or, or I was abused as, you know, someone beat me or, you know, shot at me. I, you know, whatever the moment is, you know, that, that some memory of that will pop up. It's a samskara, it's an imprint, right? And so it pops up in the body response. There's that adrenaline, cortisol release. And if you recognize it immediately and bring your awareness to your breath and start doing either three-part yoga breathing or circular breath or ujjayi breath or find a word and start repeating the word, whatever it is that can bring the neuronal activity that is now rampantly riding out on this, on this uh, flashback, reverse that and bring all that awareness into focus on one thing. You know, it brings you into the present moment. Feel the air on your skin. Feel the, think of the things we say, the beginning class, ground into mother earth. Feel your feet on the ground. Feel the weight, lift your heart, open your shoulders. Can you, all right. What, where are you right now? What, what can you hear? I can hear the refrigerator running. I can hear the dog barking. I can hear wind chimes. I can hear a crow calling. You know, so you're, you bring people's attention to the present moment. I think that is the, the, um, that is the, the technique that changes the brain patterning so that you're actually developing new new pathways you know you thank god for the neuroplasticity right so you're if you're used to seeing a dog and responding in a certain way because you got bit by a dog right you can start to notice that and slowly 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 introduce yourself to a friendly dog and get closer and closer and closer and pretty soon you've established a new pathway and that impulse doesn't pop up again I loved it when first learning about, you know, don't believe everything your mind thinks and um, then really starting to understanding that we had these particular stories um, and the stories might be from the family we grew up in or the culture we grew up in. And there's just, it's a way of seeing things. And after a while you start to see, oh, it's just a story. <laughs> and that um, often you'll attract those same kind of situations because you're going to read the same situation in a particular way, whereas someone else who sees the situation interprets it differently because of the stories. And so it was such a relief to me to go, oh, let's see what's happening and let's see if it's really happening or is it just my old way of habitually looking at and receiving? I mean, exactly. I think it's so fascinating. Yoga encourages us to, to let those stories come up and examine them, not to push the fear back down again. You know, we're in the habit of like pain, fear. Oh, no, I don't want to look at that. But we have, 
you know, as you, uh, you start to deal with your emotions in meditation, which are a little more, a little trickier to, to deal. I mean, a thought has a beginning and an end. You can watch a thought come up and see it drift by and that's the end of it. And you're back to your breath again. But an emotion is more vaporous, is more ethereal. It's harder, a little harder, I think, to acknowledge emotions and say, you know, and then, but as we do our practices, you know, when you apply Kriya Yoga, this, this, tri-part practice to each of the eight limbs, the idea of tapas, vajaya, and ishra pranidana, which is, you know, do, do some, the discipline of tapas, the burning of the impurities, studying scripture, studying uplifting material, and then surrendering to pure awareness, surrender to the present moment. And I like to say that as opposed to surrender to something that's going to trigger a a concept for someone like surrender to God or surrender to the Supreme being surrender to the present moment. That's where God consciousness is. That's where you're going to have this experience of yoga or this experience of the true self. So when we apply that to asana, for example, you're burning out these samskaras, you're burning out these impressions that we've been layering on ourselves, which makes what you say the stories, which creates the stories. So as we burn those out and we burn out the, 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 in asana, we're burning stuff in the anamaya kosha. In pranayama, we're burning out the samskara stored in the pranamaya kosha. We're cleaning the sheaths. We're cleaning these concentric energy fields. And we become freer and freer and freer and freer of conditioning. Uh, it's a fascinating, I'm just this methodology is so fascinating <laughs> to me. It's just brilliant. And that we're still doing it thousands of years after people first started doing it and it's there's so many wonderful maps and ways to look at it um you know again I always say to my teacher trainees um this is just the beginning (laughs) it's a it's a lifelong journey and how exciting it is well welcome into this world of you know eternal um exploration it's it's such an interesting and exciting ongoing journey when you really start to it's like using yourself as a petri dish dish to oh well, let's, let's see what happens if i start my day with breathing let's see what how the day goes if i start my day with some some slow asana how does that affect my my day and um you know exactly. we, we we can be the um you know the the medicine the medicine man the medicine person of just trying out different different ways and different techniques and finding out what works for us you know, I think one of the things, and I see we're probably getting closer, to close, although I could, we could go on with this all day. I see we're getting closer to wrapping this up. But, um, you know, this, this time, this moment, this challenge, this tiny little virus that has brought our whole planet into upheaval. And I tell my students like you, you know, look, this is not a time to curl up and hide under the couch. This, and, and you said it earlier, this is what we've been practicing for. This is, we've been getting ready for this for, for, for lifetimes. You know, yeah, does that mean we're going to be perfectly right on out there leading the band and leading the parade every single moment? No, there are going to be times when we feel depressed or we feel discouraged or we're facing 
well-funded opposition, you know, but you just persevere. You hang in there. This, this practice builds resilience. And you get out there, you stand up, and you speak out for what you believe in and just keep hammering away at it. And um, right now, I think the most important thing yoga people can do is help get out the vote mm -hmm. and encourage everyone you know, whether they're of, you know, a, a, a underserved or minority population or suburban women or um, veterans or young people or old people or, you know, drive somebody to the polls and um, just... Uh, make sure your voice counts. I think that's, and, um, you know, be a leader in your community. You've been trained for this, especially if you're in Saraswati's teacher training program or mine, <laughs> you, you know, we expect you out there on the streets. We do. <laughs> <laughs> that's what yoga is. You know, it's not just what you do on your mat. The word abhyasa means practice, and it's defined as making an effort to keep your mind steady. That means making an effort to be present. It doesn't matter whether you're doing asana or you're chopping carrots or you're cooking lentil soup, you're driving your kids to school, or you're you know, out in the backyard scooping dog poop. I mean, it's about being present, and um, that practice goes on 24 7 I always ask my students so when can we practice and they go all the time <laughs> well thank you so much it's just been so wonderful to talk with you and I really appreciate you taking the time and um, good luck with building your lovely new home thank you and um, this is terrific I'm so thank you for the opportunity to chat with all these great people and uh, good luck and I hope to see you in person soon somewhere we'll, we'll take that we'll ride that light beam from the west coast to the east coast and we can connect somewhere over I don't know South Dakota <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Please leave us a review so that others can find us.